Take your Bibles to the book of Exodus, and uh, we're going to be continuing this study. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction, but Exodus chapter 7 is where we're going to start. Every time that we're going into this, we're pointing out uh, something about the faithfulness of God, the consistency of God. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the faithful character of God, how God is faithful in his character, and how God is consistent. Uh, We will see this as we study the life of Moses here in a minute. And I'm going to be honest, this is one of my favorite lessons, or when I got into this, it will be one of my favorite lessons to teach when it comes to this. Um, he He was consistent. He wanted them to know who he was. And that's why last week when when he, Moses went back to, um, to God and he said, God, this just isn't working. And God was like, sit down. I need, you to, I need you to understand what I'm doing. He said, they don't know me. This isn't just about letting them go. And guys, it's not just about us seeing people not go to hell. It, it, that's, that's too small of a goal. And trust me, that's, that's a big thing. But the goal was to restore a relationship with man. That's, that's why Jesus died on the cross and the veil was rent in half. It was to restore the relationship back. And if you think about it, when Moses goes before Pharaoh, what is the request? Let my people go that they can worship God. That was the request from the very beginning. It wasn't just make them stop working or, the, you know, let them worship their God. We were created for worship of God. We were created for a relationship with God. And that's where he was like, they've only known me as Elohim, G-O-D, God. But as Jehovah, they've not known me. And God had this heart-to-heart talk with them. And he said, they will know that I am the God that will go with them. Because when they walked out of Egypt, they walked out with the pillar of fire in the sky and the cloud that guided them and the Shekinah glory of God in the, the tabernacle and the temple. And from there, that led all the way up to the coming of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ did when he said it is finished and the veil was rent in two, it was restoring the relationship that he had with us. And so that's an important thing to understand. But I want to zone in on the character of God. Have you ever guys, have you guys ever known anybody that they, they just change over time. You guys know what I'm talking about? You knew them when they were a kid and you, or, or as a teenager, or as you grew up with them and then you see them and you're like, wow, what happened to them? They've changed so much. They're not the same person anymore. I think some people change in good ways and some people change in bad ways, but we're inconsistent. I can tell you that. You know, I, I, we're made of flesh and we're weak. And so sometimes we can develop bad habits and those bad habits can drag us down. Some people can end up being lazy you know, they, they, they end up being greedy. They, they end up being angry, undisciplined when it comes to that. So the Bible, and I'm just going to lay this out as we get into this, because we're going to see these characteristics, but I want to teach this to you before we get in there. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I know we say that a lot. It's like, man, God doesn't change. God doesn't change. But think about the importance of that. The character of God doesn't change. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift coming down from above, from the Father of lights, and whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There, there is no changing. There's no variety. It, 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 there's no variables. It's, it's, God is the same, which is character is the same. And I know we know that in some ways, but the character that we're going to bring out tonight is very important. There's a number of them. Number one is the love of God. And I know that we've kind of emphasized that even in the last couple of weeks, the worship service and things like that. It's a love that's agape. It doesn't change. So you can 
be the prodigal son, and when the prodigal son comes back, the father still loves his son. It's not, I'm done with you, like our love is. It's like, I'm done with you. I write you off. You've, you've let me down. Get out of my sight. And we're like that. The love of God is consistent. So is the mercy of God. God is a merciful God in this story, and that's a big part of this. It's the mercy of God. Why is there 10 plagues? The mercy of God. What was God teaching them? The mercy of God through all of this. It's the, the, the mercy of God is hard for us to understand, but it's, it's withholding punishment that is deserved. We all know that, well, maybe we don't all know this. I know this feeling, getting pulled over by the cops. Have any of you ever been pulled over by the cops? Raise your hand. You're in church. Okay. Get pulled over by the cops. Comes to your window. I'll be right back. You guys know the deal. They come back and say, hey, listen, I'm going to let you off with a warning. He withheld punishment that was deserved. He let you go. I mean, he, he didn't write you a check for 100 bucks and say, hey, here's a blessing. But it, it's, that's grace, by the way. Grace is you getting what you didn't deserve. But when he lets you go, that the whole principle of that is mercy. He withheld punishment that is deserved. But then there's a big one that we're going to nail tonight in understanding, and that is the justice of God. When we say that our God is a just God, that is tied into the Easter story that's tied into the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. It's understanding all the way to the Old Testament uh, when, when uh, Adam and Eve sinned and they killed the sacrifice and all those things, that God is a just God. What does this mean? It goes along with the holiness of God. It means that God is holy and he always does what's right. So let's say a gruesome story. We've seen these things on like 2020 and things like that. Let's, let's take this scenario that a family had their child murdered I mean, literally, brutally murdered by some sort of serial killer or something like that. Just, I, I want you to think of something horrendous because our sin, according to the, the righteousness of God, is horrendous. And, and, and they go before the judge and the judge looks down at him and says, hey, listen, I've listened to the case and it's, it's, I'll tell you what, he's such a good person and he's done a lot of good in the community and stuff. And I think we're just going to let this one slide. And the family rises up and being, wait a minute, my little girl is dead because of him. See, there's no justice there because it's a matter of, according to the law, you, you need to pay for your crimes or this was wrong and it wasn't made right. It was never justified. It was never fixed. It was never made right. Ignoring sin is not possible for God because God is holy. If God is holy, God cannot turn his back on sin. God cannot ignore sin. All unrighteousness must be dealt with. And so there's two ways that the judgment or the righteousness is made right or things are made righteous according to God. Number one is by the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was the temporary sacrifice of them doing what's right, uh, of obeying God for that. But the second is God judges sin according to hell. But either way, sin is going to be judged. It's either going to be judged by what Jesus Christ did on the cross or it's going to be judged according to you where you stand guilty before God. But either way, that sin in your life is going to be dealt with. That's what makes God a just God. If God didn't do that and he was this ignore sin, that he would not be holy. He is a holy, righteous judge. He makes the rights wrong. So if you went before God and you, whatever situation there was and he was the judge, I promise you, whatever the outcome was, he's going to make it right. You say, what does that have to do with all this? The wages of sin is death. Literally meaning that sin takes, kills, destroys what God has created. It's a debt that has to be paid for. 
There is the grace of God too. It's another characteristic of God. And God gives you what you don't deserve. We see that in the children of Israel as they're leaving as God blesses them in such a big way. If the cop pulled you over and he said, listen, I'm going to let you go. You were speeding. You were doing 20 over, but I understand that you want to get to that movie. That would never happen, by the way. (laughs) and And then he turned around and said, hey, by the way, here's 20 bucks. I want you guys to get popcorn when you're there. That would, be, that would be grace. That would be mercy. Justice would have been, here's your ticket, you need to pay it. Mercy would have been, I'm going to let you go. Grace is, I'm going to let you go and here's 20 bucks. Okay, when, when, we, when Jesus paid the debt for our sin and then he calls us to him to become the children of God, we're inheriting and receiving something that we did not deserve whatsoever and we receive it for nothing. So in this story... God is explaining something of sin has to be dealt with. And God warns of it. And God says in Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow, it, it, according to the righteous judge, if you sow unrighteousness, you will pay for that unrighteousness. That, that is why we plead the blood of Jesus Christ, to put it under the blood of Jesus Christ, to be forgiven, that atonement that we talk about. But he says, you're not going to get away with it. God's not going to be made of it. And anybody that tries to play games, and I'm going to show you this because Pharaoh tried to play games with God. You cannot play games with God. Amen. So we see this displayed in the story. Just remember these characteristics, the love of God, the mercy, the grace, the justice of God, and, and, and all these attributes that we just talked about. Let me point these out as we go through this. So God is going to judge Pharaoh. Why? Because in the mercy of God, God sent Moses. That's what it is. Goes before him and says, I represent the great I am. He said, who, who, who do I say that I am? Let him know that I am that I am. Let, let him know that I am the creator, Elohim, the one that gave him breath. And then you tell him to let my people go. It's warning. As you have to understand, what we do on Sunday morning and what we do through the Easter program and what we're doing online right now, it's the mercy of God. I get to be part of the, the avenue of the mercy of God. Because I get to point to what is coming. And I get to point to the one that sent us. And I get to point to the, to the solution along the way. That's what Moses is. He's a messenger that comes in and just says, listen, bad things are coming. You've got to make this right. I represent God. And this is the mercy of God to make these things right. So the plagues that we read about display the mercy and the justice of God because it's warning. It's what's happening in the story. It's just the warning of God. God said, I will have no other gods before me. God's warning them through all this. Warnings to obey. The warning that judgment is coming. And Pharaoh then has the choice to heed the warning. Then he comes back to him again. And, and he disobeys and he disobeys. I'm not going to go into great detail with the plagues. Because honestly, that is, I, I really want to focus more on the character of God than I do on the study. of that. We can do that another time. And I've done that in the past. I love doing that. Because every one of them are significant. And I'll tell you this. There's ten plagues. The ten plagues all line up with one of their false gods. And if you've never done a study on that, it's fascinating to see. If, if you see the ancient Egyptian writings and stuff like that, they worship the frogs of the Nile River. They worship the Nile River. They worship the cattle. They worship the sun. They worshiped all these different things. They had all these gods and they turned everything into a god. So what God was doing is literally one by one, he's just knocking off their gods, saying, I am the one only true God. And he was proving his power in the meantime of doing this. 
So have you ever wondered how long the plagues last? Because we really don't know. Uh, the Bible gives a length for only about three of them. The first plague lasted about seven days. The ninth plague lasted three days. And the tenth plague was about one night. Now, a lot of Bible historians that have tried to analyze this, and not that it, it, it's not one of those make or break things, but if you took the average length of these times this uh, other seven plagues or the ten plagues all together, that would equal about four days about each one. And then if you times that times ten, it was 40 which would make sense. And once again, I'm just kind of building a timeline of how long this was going on, that Pharaoh had plenty of time to get his heart right before God. And if you think about what 40 lines up with in the Bible, it's a biblical number of judgment. Um, There was 40 years of wandering in the desert. There was 40 days of rain with Noah. Uh, Goliath stood before the, the army for 40 days. God gave Nineveh 40 days to repent or else it would be destroyed. So not that it has it, but it just kind of gives us a timeline of what's going on with this. So now we're going to see, I'm just going to kind of run through the plagues and point out some things of the mercy, the justice, and the love of God through this. So every one of these things prove that their God, their false God, uh, could not defend them. He couldn't. So the one was the Nile River. And so we'll start, if you want to follow along with me in your Bible, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, or actually 17, let's jump to 17. Thus saith the Lord, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. So why is he doing this? He's picking on Pharaoh? Is he just being a bully? No. I, I, I want you to know who I am. So he goes before him to warn him. What is it? That is the mercy of God. Because God didn't just say, Pharaoh, you're a pagan, you're heathen, you're prideful, you're arrogant, you've oppressed my people. Everything according to us the justice of God could have been, you've done wrong, you've paid, you're going to pay the time. You're going to pay the judgment for this. And people have wondered now, I don't understand how God hasn't come back yet. I'll tell you why, the mercy of God. Because <clears throat> God is not willing that any should perish. So every time that God does not come back, the only reason why is because God is displaying the mercy of God. It is one more opportunity for that sinner to repent. One more opportunity for us to give the gospel and share the truth with people. He said, Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are the river, and they shall be turned into blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink. And the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And I tell you how big of a thing this is. God is not just doing things to be like, Hey, I'm here. He was doing things that were miraculous. When you look around what God has done of the birth of a child, a sunrise, I mean, just how God changes the nature and how, guys, watch this. And I I know I bring this up every single year and I sound like a broken record. I I still stand fascinated by this. All of nature will know that it's spring all at this exact same time. Have you ever noticed that? Isn't that just so cool? This tree, this tree, this tree, this tree, this tree, all, all the, the grass, everything. It's just like somebody flips a switch and it all just, and you just say, well, of course, well, of course, what? It, it's, it's not mother nature, guys. Amen. There's an almighty God that literally just breathes out all the way around us and changes it from the one foot of snow that we had to, to green, and, uh, green trees and, and flowers and, and blossoms and all that. It's just that God's been able to do that and just, and, and, and here, if we were just to draw a masterpiece or whatever, we, it would take hours for us to 
draw on a canvas something beautiful, and God can transform everything in a moment. To me, it's just fascinating. God was doing this. But he said, I'm going to make the river stink. I remember me and Jenny, we, in our last house that we had years ago, she went on the back porch and she said, Tony, something smells back there. And I went out there and said, I kind of smell it. I, I, I don't know. Well, five, six days later, we couldn't go in the backyard. We could not go in the backyard. A cat crawled underneath our porch and died. And it was so far under, we couldn't see it or whatever. It was way underneath our porch. And I'll tell you, it was terrible. You've got to understand and let your imagination, and the fish that is in the river shall die. That is a lot of fish. God is literally getting the attention of every one of them as he goes through this. Verse 22, and the the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither did he set his heart to this also. Now understand what he's saying. He turned against what he saw was a miracle of God, and he ignored what God had did, even though that he knew that it was a miracle of God. He did not care. He showed no reaction, and his people were suffering as a result of this. And all the Egyptians digged around about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river, and seven days were fulfilled after the Lord had smitten the river. So the Nile was a source of life, water, bathing, cooking, cleaning, laundry, all these different things, fish, food. And it was a basic thing. But remember what the Bible says. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And what was God proving to this? I am the sustainer of life. I am the living water. Every one of these things, he was knocking down their God to prove who he was. So seven days goes by and then it's the frogs. Now you got to understand, like I said, the Bible says that I sh- thou shalt have no other gods before me. So this is the justice of God. That is not a God. Those frogs, all those things, and they literally have statues. And, and, and I, I've talked through this before in detail, and I put on the screen pictures of uh, how, how they worshiped them and how they had frogs all over their, their walls and the things that they did. Judges chapter 10, verse 13, Yet have ye forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. God said, I will have no other gods. God cannot bless a pagan nation. God cannot bless this. So God smites them, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. You see it again. It wasn't a matter of him just pouring out judgment. He goes, can I, can I just warn you? That blood thing was really nasty. I mean, it was really gross. It still stinks around here. But I am telling you now, God's going to do it again. God is, God is going to judge you again. And if you refuse to let them hold, go. Before, behold, I will smite all the borders with frogs. There was a warning. You, you guys know why I'm so passionate to point to news and the changing culture and everything going around? Because the things that are happening according to the book of Revelation in the Bible is warning. Amen. It's a warning. And, and the, the Bible gives warnings, and there's these warnings going up to it just so that we can wake up, and it does get the world's attention. You know one of the reasons why I'm so excited about doing this Easter drama? Because I promise you, nobody looks back at last year and doesn't question whether or not we're being judged or God's trying to get our attention. People are. People are curious. Is this part of the end times? Is this part of the curse of sin? It said in verse 3, And the rivers shall bring forth frogs abundantly. Is anybody freaked out by this at all? You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I'm not like scared of frogs, but this is gross. 
and which also shall go up into thine house, into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed. You can imagine literally waking up with a bed full of frogs. In the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and in thine ovens, in thy kneading troughs. I mean, where they cook, clean, all these things. Verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land. Uh, and we go from that to, to lice. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm switching gears here. So kind of going through these. That they might become lice throughout the land of Egypt. And they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth, and became lice, and man, and beast, and all the dust of the, became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Notice, and it says in verse 19, And the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. Do you see what God was doing with this? They literally at this point just saying, Hey, listen, this is God. And that's what God does. God gets our attention. And sometimes God has to really shake us up to get our attention. But I can tell you this, it's the grace of God because he'd rather in our culture today let us go through some things as a result of our sin and our denying of God that we can be awakened to our need of salvation. Man, it's the mercy of God. They can't deny what God is doing, but Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. And notice that it says in that verse, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as, as the Lord had said. And, and, and a lot of times people point to there and says, well, God was hardening his heart. The Bible was literally saying, I'm going to go before him and say that I am the only true God. As a result of me proclaiming the truth, they will rebel against what God says. We see this all the time in our culture today. You guys know this. It's like, there's only one true God. I'm not bowing to any God. I'm an atheist. I don't even believe there is a God. So what, what are you making your God? You are your God. You answer to yourself. You make your own rules. You do what you want. That You're making yourself a God. Man is so rebellious. And this is, I, and I, I've said this before. I, I, I don't believe in atheists, okay? I, I, I believe that there's people that just don't want to submit to, to God because you can't look around us and truly believe that there's not a God. Truly believe that there's a creator, it goes from there into insects and flies. And the Lord said in verse 24, And the Lord did so, and there came grievous swarms of flies into Pharaoh, house of Pharaoh, and into his servant's house, and into the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted by uh, reason of the swarm of flies. Now, I, I'm just going to take this for what it is. The Hebrew word for grievous is thick. I, I, have you guys ever walked into a swarm of gnats before? You know what I'm talking about when you're camping or whatever? It's one of the most disgusting things that is all over your face or whatever. But it, the, the swarm that it was talking about was all sorts of either flies, mosquitoes, or whatever. We're not exactly sure what this is, but the Bible describes this swarm of flies. Time for Pharaoh to start playing games. Like, okay, I, and this is, just so you know, this is human nature right here. It's like, okay, okay, I, 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 I see that there's something going on here. And obviously that there is a God that you serve and he's got some power or whatever. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go, go ye and sacrifice to your God in the land. He said, okay, go ahead and do this. Uh, there's something else about the justice of God. There is absolute truth and we were probably preaching on this Sunday. This is absolute truth. You cannot water it down. You cannot bring it down to your level. You cannot twist it. You know, and it, and it blows me away, and I was um, doing a study on marriage, and there was another church that did a similar study on the same title that I was looking at. You, you guys will know coming up here pretty soon. We're doing a marriage conference at our church, April 24th, um, a one-day thing. And the church that was advertising their marriage conference had two men holding hands on a couch. And I was just 
blown away that this was the advertisement for a church to do this. And, and to, to, to pull it down and just say, I know what the absolute truth is, but I'm going to put my own interpretation on it. You cannot do that. You cannot manipulate what God has said. Right is right and wrong is wrong all day long. It doesn't matter man's opinions. Amen. So here's what happens in verse 26. And Moses said, it is not me for, for me to do so. Um, let me back up verse 25 again, if we can look at that. Sacrifice to your God in the land. So this is what Pharaoh was saying. Yeah, go ahead and sacrifice right here. You're going to sacrifice right here. I want your people to do right here. God said, let me go into the wilderness and sacrifice. See, what he was trying to do, he's trying to negotiate with God. No, you, you tell God, you tell your God, he can do his thing, but he's going to do it on my terms. God doesn't work that way. And God will never do that. God will, God will never bow a knee to man. He will never bow a knee to our sin. He will never be manipulated. And Moses said, it is not meet so to do. For we shall sacrifice the abomination of Egypt to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of Egyptians before their eyes, and they will not stone us. We will go three days and journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, and he shall command us. And so Pharaoh lies. He's trying to manipulate God. He's playing games with God. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far and treat me. And Pharaoh, verse 32, and Pharaoh hardened his heart also this time, also, neither would he let the people go. And he did it again. I want you guys to see, isn't it amazing that God didn't just along the way with Pharaoh go, bing, <laughs> like I'm done with you? Your arrogance and all these other things that was coming along, and Pharaoh hardened his heart another time. Now we get to the livestock. Exodus chapter 9, verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon the cattle, which it was in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, upon the sheep. And there shall be very grievous uh, moraine, which is talking about this, uh, these sores and these things that would go on. He was destroying the meat, the milk, their transportation, the animals that they used for labor, the animals that they used for pets, everything that was going on. But can I just borrow your imagination for a minute? Remember the stink of the Nile River? Just take all of these plagues that are going on at the same time and compound the smell of this as we go through this. You, you talk about not being able to escape this whatsoever. Now they're hungry, they're working. Uh, when the time comes to clean up this mess, it's, it's probably making them sick. There's reactions. There's, there's a chain reaction that happens. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 4, And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of that in the children of Israel. You can see this, even the grace of God that's coming down, and how God begins to put his hand of mercy even upon the children of Israel as they're going through this. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And God still does this today. God still warns us. Can I give you, just pause for a minute and like bring this in the 2021 for a minute? The Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Do you know what that verse is? It's the same thing. It's the warning of God. God comes before us and says, I want you to know why there's time before God brings down the next judgment, that this is what God's going to do. And you, everybody needs to understand that every, God has warned us already. When you die, you're going to stand before God. Every knee's going to bow. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. What was he saying? I am going to come back. 
It, it, he says for those that are caught off unaware, it's going to be as a thief in the night. But we have the word of God that's literally proclaiming there's a thief coming. If you put it in that perspective of that, shouldn't it come as a surprise? Then we get to the plague of boils. and We're almost to the end of these plagues. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, take you to you handfuls of ashes in the furnace and let Moses sprinkle it towards the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. Then we right in front of him, become small dust in the land of Egypt and shall be a boil break forth in the, the, uh, the blains of man upon man and upon the beasts and upon all the land. And then it goes into hail after that. We won't go into the details of that, but literally they were miserable. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch forth thine hand towards heaven and there shall be hail in the land of Egypt upon man, upon the beasts, upon uh, the herb, upon the field, upon the land. And, and all the herbs and everything were destroyed, all the produce, all, all, the, all the rest of the animals that are happening. Can I just pause for a minute? Does this remind you guys of anything? You guys know what I'm talking about? And you, you talk about history repeats itself. If I was to tell you right now and read through a bunch of this stuff and then tell you guys, take your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and, that, and that's what it is. It's amazing. And I, I've often thought... Why in the world in the book of Revelation, when we talk about the produce, the animals, the rivers, all those other things, one after one, why, why don't they turn and cry out to God? It's amazing how Satan blinds the minds of them, how pride and arrogance and how deception is so strong. Happen then, it's going to happen again in history when we get to the end of this. So what is left to eat? What's going on? This is judgment of God all over again. And then there's the plague of locusts uh, locust in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, and they come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, even all the hail that had left. Notice how God gets rid of it. Notice how God wipes it out in verse 19. The Lord turned a mighty strong wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. And there remained not one locust in the land of the coast of Egypt. That is almost prophetic of what God's going to do with the army that he's about to do when they go after him that we're going to get into next week. So we see the hand of God. We see it over and over again. When we get to verse 21, we get to um, the darkness. And I, and I believe that that is even symbolic of that. The Lord said, stretch out that hand toward heaven, and there'll be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness that might be felt. I can't even imagine how creepy this is when the Bible's talking about this. But you think about this, that the Bible teaches this very clearly in John chapter 8, that he said, I am the light of the world. I, I, I am, God is very proving through all of this that he's the sustainer. He's greater than the false gods. He's the provider. He's the living water. He's the protection. I mean, he's the healer with the boils. He is, I mean, if you go back through and you see all that was going on, God was showing the complete opposite, that he was all of those things, even in the midst of the darkness where they were blinded. And we were talking about Ananias going to Saul that he might see. God, in his power, wants us to see the truth. And he illuminates this all to them, just in the power that God can show. I, I can control everything around you, and I can turn it on, and I can turn it off. And the Bible says in chapter, 20, or chapter 10, verse 28, and Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for that day, the day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. He threatens him. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. And he didn't. There's no submission, there's no surrender, there is no anything coming of remorse of his. And I say this out of everything that God has done, 
to warn people, to speak to their hearts and things. And when people stand before God and say, how could God love us so much that he sends us to hell? And I think with even Pharaoh, God said, do you know how many times I spoke to you? Do you know how many times I proved my power? Do you know how many times I used Moses to speak to your heart, demonstrate my power, control the darkness, control the light, and all these other things, and you just push God away over and over and over again? And totally, at this point, Moses says you can have it your own way. The next point of this, and and we're going to close with the, the Passover, which is the death of the firstborn. There's so much symbolism in this, and there's so much power that goes into this. God will judge sin. This is one of the most powerful passages in the Old Testament pointing to the cross. The most powerful passage is understanding the obedience that we can have in our hearts to receive salvation. God had big plans to draw them to him in this relationship that he was establishing with them. We're about to see that God was going to set them free. But how did it come? It came by the sacrifice of a lamb. The same thing that we're about to preach on Easter, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So here it is, God was about to set them free, and he uses the thing, and we all know, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God was trying to prove to us that sin had to be dealt with. Sin had to be dealt with. God was going to provide a way for it to be dealt with. God was the answer, but Pharaoh turned God away. We're talking about the justice of God. So in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go, hence he shall let you go. He shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. God's plan was going to work. And Moses said, um, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even the firstborn of the maidservants behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beasts. He's literally saying, even from the palace to the servants, it's anybody that did not obey God. And there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there's none like it, nor shall be like any more. I, I can't even imagine what this is describing, but can I remind you guys how we started this? Pharaoh was going to the midwives to destroy God's people by commanding that they kill the boys as they were born. You've got to understand, we serve a just God that will, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You, God will not turn his back on sin. And a lot of times we think that God's just ignoring the sin of America or God's ignoring the sins of the world. God's not. It's the mercy of God, grace of God to give churches and, and, and the messages and even right now to have Facebook Live and all the radio preaching and everything that we have right now. That's the mercy and the grace of God. But at this point, God says there's going to be the justice of God. At the point of judgment, it's not going to make sense to know that anybody that did not receive Jesus Christ as a personal Savior will be cast into hell. Revelation, when we get to the end of it, and he starts talking about it, and he will wipe away all the tears from their eyes, there's going to be great sorrow in that. Great sorrow in knowing that God will justify and make things right. It was done at the cross, and it will be done with hell. Making the wrongs right, that's what it will be. It will either be the forgiveness that we receive, or the judgment of God, or the wrath of God that comes upon us. We're seeing the wrath of God being poured on in this. Why? They rejected God, rejected God, rejected God. Remember that verse that we read in Galatians. God will not be mocked. You will not make a fool of God. And there's not a person, there's not a human being that is getting away with sin. And, and, and even the sin of Achan, when we get into that story down the road, 
When you get into that and you see he tried to hide and, and, and hide the sin that he did and God uncovered it. God will not ignore sin. God does that and when he says, be sure your sin will find you out. And it's not because God doesn't care about us. It's because God does care about us because he wants to make things right. He exposes it. So at the end of the grace of God, at the end of the mercy of God, comes the judgment of God. Speak unto the, all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And can you imagine how weird this was for them? They're thinking, what? And the household be too little for the lamb? Let him and his neighbors next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. A man according to the eating shall be able to count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Anybody see the prophecy here? Anybody see the, the sacrifice exactly? It's Jesus Christ, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the, from the sheep and from the goats. Jesus said in 1 Peter 1.19, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. John 1.29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. We are seeing everything that we saw right now. And you say, man, it's so outdated in Moses and the judgments and the warnings and all this. Man, it's so disconnected. It's not disconnected at all. It's, it's a parallel to where we're at today in our lives. And they shall take the blood and they shall strike it on the two sides and on the upper door of the post or the house wherein they shall eat it. I, I want you guys to see this picture. And I know a lot of you have seen illustrations of this kind of stuff in the past. But, but it was, it, it's exactly what it is. It was the sacrifice that was made because the wages of sin is death. The lamb was the sacrifice. It's not that God would ignore sin. God can't ignore sin, but the wages of sin is death. There's a payment for your sin. And Jesus said, wait a minute, pulled us out of the way. And he stepped in and took that place. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why the father had to turn his back on the son Literally, so that they could do. When he was talking about, I thirst. And in the garden, he said, let this cup pass from me. Literally, he had, he, he had to become sin for us. It's all symbolic of what Jesus was doing. Every single bit of it was talking about the justice of God. The wages of sin is death. And you just say, well, not for me. You're right, because Jesus was the substitute. In this picture, the, the, the lamb did not take away their sin because the lamb was not the perfect one. They had to keep doing this all the way through when the wilderness. But it was still prophetic, proving that there was a substitute, there's a substitute, there's a substitute. Uh, something has to die all the way from Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned against God, the wages of sin was death. And they took the lamb and they killed it and they covered their nakedness with the coats of that. The same way that Jesus, the righteousness of God, it covers us. And thus shall you eat it, and your loins shall be guarded, and your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He literally said, I want you to put your shoes on. I want you to be the, have the, the, the rod in your hand. I, I, I want your backpacks on. I mean, literally, was what he's saying. It was time to go. Literally, at that point, it was time God was going to set them free. It's amazing when Jesus was done how he cried out that it is finished. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. Again, that was prophetic of what he did through all the judgments. I am the Lord. He said, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The Lord, the righteous judge. Man, that's not a popular message to preach. The Lord, the loving God, the amazing grace of Jesus. But man, you get into that other and say the righteous judge. At the end of time, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess bowing before the the righteous judge. It's a demonstration here of the righteous judge. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You want to know why you're not going to hell? When God sees the blood, he will pass over you. That that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the atonement. It is the covering. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I shall smite the land of Egypt. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, And almost all things are by the law purged without blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Blood is so weird to talk about. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, like, there's power, power, power in the blood. You know, it's, I mean, have you ever thought how weird that is for, for people that are lost to come into church? You know, that we talk about, you know, uh, that we love this song, the, the Love Ran Red, you know, that we, we sing in those kind of songs like that. It's all, it's all talking about the blood. We preach the blood. We talk about the blood because blood represents life. And this whole thing that it's talking about is the fact that the blood was shed, that the life was taken. It's, it's pointing to Romans 6.23 and all the other passages that we have about that. But by them obeying and sacrificing the, the, the lamb... It wasn't by their act of what they did. It was by the fact that when they saw the blood that they knew that they trusted and obeyed God. You know what I'm saying? It was nothing that they did. You think God came by and was like, oh, they did a really good job with this blood. I mean, it wasn't a matter of what they did. It was a matter of the obedience that they didn't even make sense. You think about back then, you can imagine the dad sitting around with the kids saying, what are we going to do? It's like, well, we're going we're gonna to kill this lamb, okay. And then daddy's going to go outside and slap the blood all over the door okay. Have you ever thought how weird that is? And you just say, Dad, why are we doing this? It's what God told us to do. It's what God told us to do. And that's why we're to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him. That's what we do. And it's a matter of the gift of Jesus Christ, even though it was 2,000 years ago of salvation, it, it's, it's, it's by faith and obedience and trusting and receiving what Jesus Christ has done for us. Verse 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt and the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat upon the throne of the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and the Egyptians. Then there was a great cry in Egypt. There was not a house when there was not one dead. I, 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 I've been, I, I did a funeral um, last week. It was a 26-year-old man died. It was a horrible situation. 
and I, I got done, and I sat down. It was literally like a week ago today, and the mom came out, and, and she, she collapsed on the casket and just literally wouldn't let go and just wept over and over and over again. This is my baby. This is my baby. This is my baby. And I'll tell you what, it's just completely tore me up. He's 26. Jordan's 20 years old. My son's 20. It's like, death is a thief. It separates. That's what death, that's what makes death so terrible. It's, It's not just if it, was, if it was true, what the law say is, well, when I'm dead, I'm dead. It's, it's a matter of being separated from those that you love. It's a matter of when you're, you're dead, you're not dead. It's, it's a separation from God, and it's the judgment that you pass after that. We think about every time we go through the separation of, of seeing someone that we love die, like, like at that situation, it, it tears us up. Pharaoh was broken at this point, but it was too late. He had already experienced the judgment at that point. And I think there's a lot of people, it talks about that there was not another cry like this. I think a similar situation will be when we stand before God and one by one people are cast into hell because they've rejected, they rejected, they rejected God. We can't put it into words. We can't imagine and the Exodus begins, and this is where we close and we'll pick up next week. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord, which ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, and ye have said, and ye are gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people, and they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we be all dead men. Isn't it sad that it's too late at that point? And even after that, they hardened their heart to go after him, which we'll get into that next week. But it's amazing how we read this, and it's, it, it's, it's so sad to see what bitterness and pride will do to a person. I mean, just think of it. It's just... The bitterness and pride was what it was because it wasn't a matter of Pharaoh could sit there and say, well, I didn't, I didn't know. There's going to be a lot of people that stand before God and they cannot say that they didn't know. It's a lie. And I, to, to hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and I just think how many people will stand before God saying, okay, now I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm sorry, this time I'm really sorry. And God's, depart from me. I never knew you. You that worked iniquity. I never knew you. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day. Today is the day. I, I believe that God's mercy is so powerful that we can preach the truth. And that's, that's what we do at church. That's what we're going to do at Easter. That's what we're going to do the week after Easter and everything. We're just preaching the truth. Because I do believe that God is the one that was speaking to them. Even, even the, the people that they said, we've seen the finger of God. I want people to experience an outpouring of the movement, the Spirit of God. Man, we can see it. We truly, truly can see it. It's just a matter of if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. That's, that's what we're waiting on. I don't know. This, this stuff gets to me. And just the, the, the wrath of God. 
mercy, love, grace, and there is the wrath of God. And God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He, he doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't lose his, his mind. He doesn't wake up and have a bad day. He's consistent. He'll be the same God that you're, listen, the same God that was judging Pharaoh is the same God that will judge us one day. I'm just thankful that we stand on this side of the grace of God and understanding what God has done for us.